Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit that would make Jacob Davis happy. <laughs> I was going to Google that to get the joke. Arno uses top quality materials and handmakes each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O, at alnsuits.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Astute trainers with proper training tools are always the key to unleashing your dog's full potential. For over 30 years, Dr. has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training, GPS tracking, and ball training to support dog owners in developing top-notch working dogs. Trusted by professional dog trainers, canine officers, and hunters, Dr. enhances your training journey with durable training products equipped with patented, accurate, intuitive controls and technology to ensure the best experience. Join us, and together we can make every dog exceptional. Find them at dogtra.com. Everybody be sure to head over to blue-9, that's the number, .com and check out the new sponsors of the podcast. Blue 9 products. They make the climb, which Eric and I are both using. It's awesome for teaching place commands and generalizations for training. It's movable, UV resistant, holds 500 pounds, only weighs 14 pounds by itself. It's made in the US. Check them out. blue-9.com. All right, guys. Uh, Working Dog Radio, back at you with a new episode. Um, as always, uh, I'm Eric Stambro. I'm here with my buddy Ted from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, what do we got going on out in Tulsa? Uh, it finally cooled down a little bit, um, so that's sort of cool. Um, the little uh, single-purpose dog that we raised from a puppy, the little pointer, um, his handler is starting his last week of class with him. And, God, that was the most frustrating thing. Not the handler, the dog. And, you know, I mean, because – like we're going to get into here in a second with this guest, I'm used to, you know, doing pointier dogs and Crow is definitely not, but he's a tracking freaking rock star and a drug. I mean, he is a machine when it comes to drugs. The sheriff's office wanted him for kind of like, um, Amber and silver alerts and a dog that they could take into schools and everything else. The dog, they, the other dog they have from us is absolutely not a dog. You take anywhere. That <laughs> you don't want somebody getting bit. So, <laughs> right. we we didn't do that one we got some other dogs that came in uh i wish we had done the ran episode after the last things have transpired uh one of the vendors in holland uh ended up hosing us and um yeah so i'm just gonna i'm got a whole fucking thing about dealing with those assholes so um that's straightened out but other than that we got some uh I got some handler schools going. Um, we're getting ready to go to a wedding for a handler in uh, Colorado. Um, Todd, who's a friend of ours, he lives up on the Front Range. And uh, then we come home, and then you and I are going to be in Albany the first week of uh, October. 
which is yeah, probably I, about when this will air right after. Yeah, be right about then. Um, I'm excited. I um, I have a, a a handler in in town now from the United Arab Emirates. Uh, he's where where we're it's Sunday. We're working his dog today. As a matter of fact, he goes at the end of the month. They'll fly back, which is turning out to be a major pain in the ass to fly a dog into Dubai. But we'll get it straightened out. And then um, next 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 week, basically, I have a trainer coming in from. Aruba to pick up the dog that I have for them. Uh, the Aruba police canine, I've been supplying their dogs for them. So he's, um, he's coming up, going to spend a weekend with the dog. The dog, I mean, I can't take much credit. The, I bought the dogs a titled Mondial ring dog. They wanted a single purpose bite dog and, uh, he will fuck you up. So, uh, his <laughs> obedience is super tight, you know, dogs, he's, he's a real nice dog, man. So, uh, that was, that was easy for me. I didn't really have to do much. Um, and they're, they're going to, have a good time with them. I, uh, as most everybody knows, at least if you follow me on my Van S canine page on Instagram, you know that I belong to a water ski team at the lake I live at. And we had our last show of the year yesterday. And, uh, on one of the acts I got, I have a girl sitting on my shoulder and the boat takes us off and we build a little pyramid thing. Well, <clears throat> this particular start was all weird because the way the ropes were and the, and the boat driver ripped it, man, and ripped me off that dock. And, I ended up falling, you know, and crashing into the water with the girl on top of me. And uh, right away, I was like, man, that fucked my back up. And so I've been in a shitload of pain yesterday and today. Um, still up here training dogs. Uh, no bite work today because of it. But uh, I'm like standing up doing this interview in like a, a weird bent over position just because it feels better on my back. But uh, that sucks. Yeah, it oh, does suck. God. So Man. before Ted, before we um, before we introduce our guests, let's go over the our big news, the big working dog radio news as we go forward. Uh, so I guess like as we're recording this, so there was mid September. Um, if you're following us on Instagram and Facebook, um, you've probably seen us talking about Patreon um, and the Patreon thing. Is now live. Um, as of this recording, we've already got um, several people signed up, and so how this works and how this came about is, you know, Eric and I get contacted all the damn time about, you know, how do you imprint, how do you do this, how do you do that, yada, yada, yada. How do you um, set up scenarios, you know, some ways that I think people are looking for either to keep it fresh in training or they just need some direction um, outright. And this format, the podcast, is really not the best venue for that. This is more of an informational thing, which is what we're doing. So anyway... The Patreon page is a subscription-based service where you'll have access to Eric and I uh, and some of our guests um, down the line for a fairly nominal fee per month. I think we've got, as of this recording, we've got three levels set up, and I think the most is 15 bucks. But what you're going to get is several videos um, a month of either me. There's already some up right now of me walking through um, a correct building search, what I want to see, how I want to see it, and before and I walk through the building beforehand with the camera and say this is what you're going to see this is how i want it done bobbity blah and then i handle um a dog uh, an experienced patrol dog and you see it happen firsthand from the announcements to the search to me calling the behaviors to you know being able to see the dog's change of behavior once he goes into odor once he finds josh the out process everything else um and you know the feedback has been really good already so you know I think what is going to transpire on this thing is that Eric and I are going to be able to 
kind of address some of the issues that people have um, asked for us to address either in podcast or in private message or everything else. And, you know, you're going to get some other stuff you can't get, like, you know, merchandise. You're going to get discounts um, different from in the podcast, but also in the Patreon also. But check it out. It's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And if you just search Working Dog Radio, you'll see our logo. It'll pop straight up, and you can go there. What do you think about it, Eric? Uh, I, I'm, I'm so excited uh, about this. There's, you know... We proofed the concept of this um, podcast over the since the beginning of the year. We know that uh, people are enjoying it. People listen to it. It's been successful. We have reached a, a large audience. Um, we, uh, but again, we can't train on the podcast. Um, guys, uh, people tell me they do get some pretty cool information. It's snippets, you know, small snippets of information on how to uh, do some things. But um, as we know, in every step of Police dog training, there is a lot of steps. So, like imprinting odor, I can tell you kind of how I do it in a, in a right. little bit. But unless some people can't do that, they got to see it. So that type of video thing. Um, and for me, the one thing I forgot to mention: this is my first public announcement of it. I am retiring from the police department October thirty first right. of this year. So this this will come out, you know, in early October, and people will know. Um, that I'm retiring at the end of the month uh, just to do the business and th- and the working dog radio stuff full time. Um, traveling around, I'm going to Aruba the first week of October. Flying from Aruba to Albany to teach at that school. Um, back at work for a week, then to Georgia for a uh, little private seminar that I'm doing, and then it'll be Van S K9 and working dog radio full time. Um, it's it's going to be nice, so uh, I'll be able to put a max effort into the Patreon stuff, and I think people are really going to like it. Yeah, I do too. And you know, one of the things that um, I've been inundated with because we harp on scenario based training all the time, and there's a lot of people that get it, and there's a lot that don't. And I think um, this will be a great platform for people to see what we're talking about and you'll have access to um you know you'll hear me a lot of times talk about um you know there's certain core exercises within each one of these scenarios that are trainable that we teach whether it's a send out whether it's basic obedience whether it's off leash control whether it's long line handling whatever it is there's all these little micro skills and you know depending on whatever i've got going on that night um, we're working on individual skill sets for the dog and or the handler as a team. And, you know, I walk through those and I'm, and Eric will too. Um, then we'll do some imprinting stuff down the road. Like I'm getting a puppy here pretty soon and I'm going to start doing that. And we were going to do it originally just kind of, you know, just kind of doing it, but I'm, I get so tired of the fucking back and forth with people all the time. And, you know, this will help definitely a keep it positive and B we'll keep people there that want to be there. Um, you know, and like you said a couple times back, you know, when I post something, I don't really give a fuck what you think. Like I'm posting it just to post it. I don't care if you don't use this that way or whatever else. This is how I do it. And by no means am I and you and I both in print odor differently, but this is by no means a, a end all be all. But, um, I think it is a way for our community, the police dog community kind of access some of the information, on a larger level, both audio and visual now. So I think it's going to be stoked. I think everybody's going to be stoked. It's going to be cool. So go check it out. That's cool. So let's get into our guest. Um, you know, I 
and you and and most police dog trainers, not everybody, but most police dog trainers do tracking. We track we train dogs for tracking. I have had um, you know track trained a lot of police dogs for tracking uh, hard surface um, you know regular crust vegetation and everything, um, and I've had some good success. However, as we know, when you're doing a, a class or pre-training a dog. You have to teach them so many different things that you're doing tracking, you know, maybe maybe an hour a day, a half hour, hour in a day, a couple tracks, because then you got to move on to something else. So the guy, our next guest, Jeff Shetler, um, if you're if you're into tracking dogs at all, you know, who he is. if you've been around here, you know who he is. I, when we mentioned Jeff's name online the other day, there was a ton of people that responded, man, that, that guy's my mentor. Um, I loved everything. He probably forgot more this morning about tracking than I've known for the last 13 years of doing it. So, um, Jeff, uh, welcome, and let us know. Tell everybody where you're at right now. <laughs> uh, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I just I just landed in some country and I'm missing my passport, so I'm not exactly sure right now. No, seriously, <laughs> it's it's been a whirlwind ride. I was in uh, Italy for a week. Uh, I was teaching there, and then I just got back from Geneva. I was working with the gendarmerie on on tactical tracking. We did a week school there with a couple of our trainers. Now I'm in Zurich waiting for a plane ride to Estonia, where we're going to be working with the Border Patrol. That's crazy. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so let's we'll start. Let's start from the beginning. Um, tell us like where you're from and and kind of how you got into all this stuff? Well, I'm primarily from California. Uh, I spent most of my career there as a police officer, the San Francisco Bay area. Um, and also I grew up there as a teenager. Uh, currently now I'm in, in South Carolina, Edisto Island. And I have another facility also in, uh, in Georgia, Canton, Georgia. That's kind of where our, the business aspect of everything began. Mm -hmm. Um, but I spent a lot of time on the road, probably, four or five months teaching abroad, either overseas or throughout the United States. Well, how, how, when did that start? Um, pretty much right after I retired. So right around 2005, I had been teaching trailing tracking work for a time. Um, but once I retired, it, it kind of kicked into overdrive. Um, you know, back in the day when, when I used to do this, you know, as, as a cop teaching other people, uh, I did everything pretty much for free, you know, the equipment, the training, yeah. it was just, just on the side. And I think you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, yep. <laughs> it's just, that's what you do. And, uh, you know, once I retired, up, um, I started to travel a little bit, teaching in other places. And, uh, what can I say? It kind of just took a, a life of its own. Um, I would have never guessed that, you know, at this stage of my life, this is what I'd be doing, running around in the fucking mountains of Switzerland, trying uh -huh. to escape a tactical SWAT team. Um, that was the last exercise of the day, by the way. Oh, awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. What was that? I'm, I'm sure you had some good views up there in the mountains of Switzerland. Oh, man, this is amazing. It's a it's a small country, but it's it's so incredible. I mean, they speak four different languages here. Um, and the train is absolutely amazing. The cities are beautiful. It's, it's probably one of the, the coolest places I think I've ever been. I really like it here a lot. 
Yeah, I've been there several times, and it is freaking clean, too. Like, super clean. Like, there is no trash cans mm-hmm. oh, anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, it looks like a postcard everywhere. It's a cool country for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly looking down, seeing if I'm dressed properly. You know what I mean? Because if it's back <laughs> yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. So when you retired in California, did you land in Georgia because you realized that we actually on the East Coast pay normal prices for property and that you it can It took a while to figure. There? I was shocked. <laughs> I, I was shocked when I got there. You know, and then not only that, the the payroll that uh, that police officers make on the East Coast, comparatively speaking, and I was really, really surprised. I mean, I took it for granted that what we had in California was, you know, kind of nationwide. And I was, you know, really, really surprised once I started meeting officers from, you know, some of the southern states and, you know, learning what they made and how much time and effort they had to put in their training where everything I did was was usually pretty much taken care of. Um so yeah, it was a big difference. So when you were in California, um, did you handle a, a tracking dog there? I did. I did. Yeah. I had the, um, the state's first full-time, uh, police bloodhound. I mean, there, there'd been some in search and rescue, of course, but there'd never been a, a full-time street dog. that was a bloodhound. And, um, I, I started that program right around 1994. Uh, initially it was, um, it was pretty much all volunteer work. I did all the training and uh, the investigation, the equipment, the dog. I, I did all that on my own, paid for everything myself. Um, and I did a lot of volunteer work for some local departments in my area, you know, just in my off time. Uh, the success was, was pretty good right up front, and my department saw that. And, of course, they decided that it would probably be a, bit, a, a good idea to bring me on full time with the dog. That's crazy. Was it, were you busy? Was it some people skeptical that it'd take a bit? Yeah, it, it was rough, man, because, you know, first off, California's not really, well, now it is, but back in the day, it wasn't really a traditional tracking place. Um, it wasn't a, a common thing. The average department really did nothing with canine and, and tracking deployment from south to north. You just really didn't hear much of, of anything. Um and that's actually why I really wanted to do this because a lot of the deployments I did with patrol dogs uh, at that time um, were just completely ineffective. Um, and I, I didn't really quite understand why. Um, I just knew I wanted to, to do something a little bit differently. And, and that's why I, I got into the Bloodhound program. I still, I, you know, I have a lot of friends that are trainers and handlers in California and still the majority of them don't track. Yeah, you know, and it's the politics, man, and it's the the rank and file and in a lot of the the thought processes that go on there. But you know, things have changed a lot, and there's a lot of big departments that are doing an incredible amount with tracking, and uh, even from a patrol dog standpoint, tracking and trailing becomes you know far more uh, from a numbers standpoint uh, in deployment than any of the other deployments sometimes put together. Um, you know, I got a lot of guys out there that are running, you know, three, four, five tracks a night on patrol and, and really doing quite well. Lots of, lots of catches and, um, you know, the success rates are, are really, really high. We, we did an interview with Ken Stern from, uh, Albany County Sheriff's office. And he said, yeah. that, uh, he said that, um, their, uh, bloodhound dog that they have in the County there, you know, in New York, the counties are pretty big. The County is the busiest dog they have. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, 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 that's the way it was for me, you know, and it didn't start off that way. You know, I've, I kind of had to 
you know, learn my way around the program a little bit. But by the time um, I was midway in my, my canine career, um, my deployments uh, was were double what all the patrol dogs were. That's crazy. You know, yeah, and it's just, well, it's just because we could be used for everything. You know, I did everything from missing persons to cold burglaries to, you know, hot cases. It really didn't matter. You know, on, on hot Friday and Saturday nights, I could easily work seven or eight cases a night with no problem. So in 1994, you said you got the dog? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who, who was selling bloodhounds in 94? Not anybody, really. You know, and, and this industry really didn't exist. You know, back in the 90s and, and actually before, the whole bloodhound type thing was more of an apprenticeship program. Uh, you'd, you'd meet some guy or, you know, some handler, you'd work with them, learn from them, pick a bloodhound and, and hopefully get the right thing and, and make it work. And, um, you know, that uh, was kind of difficult because formal education, like from a patrol dog standpoint, that just didn't exist. Uh, and so there was a lot of good and honestly, there was far more bad, uh, mm the belief was that just because it was a bloodhound, uh, you know, it was a working dog and that it would find people because it was a bloodhound and much can be said the same today. I mean, if you get on the news or, you know, social media, you know, people start talking bloodhound, they think it's the be all end all of, of tracking. And honestly, nothing could be further from the truth because for the most part then and now bloodhounds are really not bred for work. You know, they don't have the work ethic right. for deployment. Uh, I mean, there are some, but the rank and file are pretty much for show or pets. Yeah. So, and, you know, speaking of which, I, we see a lot of you on social media and on the websites and stuff, and you guys are using another type of hound, and most people have never even heard of it. And what is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it's several. Um, I've imported a Hanoverian hound. Uh, which is in Germany, it's called the Hanoverscher Schweißhund. Um, it's a it's a bloodhound derivative from the 1400s. And basically, what the Germans did in Hanover is they shortened the dog, shorter little legs, and they bred it primarily for wild boar. And instead of like in the U.S. where we use pack dogs, it was basically a one-on-one thing. You know, this dog taking on the boar. Um, they're really, really a cool animal. Uh, and honestly, we have the American version called the Plot Hound in North Carolina, which is the state dog. Uh, Herman Plot, back in the 1800s, brought his foundation stock from Hanover into North Carolina. And uh, the Plot Hound is, is now common throughout our country. But its, it's uh, origins are the Hanover Hound. Yeah, for and those then, that have, uh, have never seen them, they look kind of like a, they look like a tiny, not tiny, but they're like a small bloodhound looking thing and they're stripy they're brindled like kind of like a duchy sometimes yeah and actually they sometimes have that duchy mentality too i've got a couple uh, <laughs> out there that, that have have more bites than their patrol dog partners do <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> first time i had ever heard of that dog was actually at your booth uh at, uh-huh. at a conference somewhere yeah uh, did we have ruin out there from clarendon county i think you did yeah. Yeah. But, um, I can't remember where it was, which one, which city it was in, but uh, I was like, man, I never heard of these dogs before. Um, yeah, they're they're badass, man. I mean, but the problem is, is it's just like any other breed. Um, you only have a fraction that are meant for work. Yeah. Right. 
you know, you, you can't just say because it's a Hanover, it's a good tracking dog. Some are worthless. Um, and you really got to filter it. Uh, the yeah. majority of the breed is used for hunting in Europe and the rest of the breed in Europe is used for show and pet. And those are the useless ones. So speaking of which, um, cause I, you know, on the single purpose side for, um, floppy ears, so like labs and pointers and that kind of stuff. And obviously on the pointy eared side, Eric and I are pretty good about like filtering and sorting. But when you're <laughs> looking at these dogs, what does the process look like to evaluate a green one? You know, honestly, it's probably a lot of what you do. Um, you know, the, the majority of the dogs I train, I'd say 80 to 90 percent are Malinois shepherds and Dutch shepherds. I mean, that's mostly what I work with around the world. Um, and the traits that I'm looking for in the hounds are going to be very similar. Um, the only problem that we have is, you know, hounds have never traditionally been raised uh, and bred for, you know, uh, protection or bite work. And, you know, there's, you, you have a little bit different mentality with the dog. And the other issue is, is that, uh, hounds have never really traditionally been bred for police work, at least in this century. You know, if you go back a hundred years, it was a little different, but, but now it's just really not the case. Even though you, you run into breeders who say that they're breeding police hounds, it's, it's not really true. Yeah, Eric and I part. run into that all the time with the police dog side with pointy ears and they're like, Oh, this is a great dog. It's a German shepherd. So that means it should be a good police dog. And I always have to use the analogy, like how many kids played basketball in high school? And they're like, Oh, this many, <laughs> exactly. I'm like how many ended up in the NBA? And they're, um, they kind of look at me and I'm like, well, shit, you can count. Just go look at it. I mean, so what are the yeah. odds? And I'm like, so just because they played basketball in high school doesn't mean they're going to be playing in the NBA. So, you know, I believe me, I get that. So that was kind of where I was going with that. And, um, because, you know, I mean, I've never actually done a hound, like I've never done a bloodhound or a Hanover or any of those. So, um, the closest we've done several pointers, um, my issue with them is always, you know, especially if they've ever, I, I try super try to find one that has never been on birds ever and mm -hmm. has never seen a hunt mm -hmm. because I, I've tried several times to convert and they're almost impossible. And, you know, and it's kind of interesting you say like the industries are different because, you know, because I'm in Oklahoma and I'm sure mm -hmm. South Carolina is the same way. There's tons of hunters there. And because of that, yeah. there's tons of bird dog breeders and they mm -hmm. do not know shit about police work. And I don't know anything about gun dog work and I don't care. I'm not going to hunt. So, Right. You know, when you, you talk to these people and they're like, oh, well, he chases Dennis Paul. And they're like, well, I don't know. Why? And I'm like, well, because, you know, having a bird in my pocket as a handler is kind of awkward. So I'm not, you know, I mean. Right. And so the the languages are different. And even mm -hmm. just talking to some of these guys, they're like, well, why would you want him to chase a tennis ball? And right. And you kind of look at him like, well, how the fuck else am I supposed to train him to find drugs? And they're like, I don't know why I'm just trained to find drugs. So, I mean, you have this whole conversation with these dudes and they have no idea. And then they, you know, they see what we do and they're like, oh, it's amazing. You can do that. I'm like, oh, it's amazing. You guys can do that. So the conversations are always super interesting. So, um, so <laughs> with the hound breeds. So, okay. The pointy, the pointy dogs, we know uh -huh. x-rays and we know what's, what health issues that, that are created yeah. you know, the hips and the elbows and the spines right. and the cancers and all that what what are yeah. some things that that we see bred poorly into the hounds? Like what are what should people be aware of as far as health goes? Well, everything that you just mentioned are the right there too. Um, so hips, elbows, um, hearts, thyroid. Uh, but with the hounds, you got a couple other issues. You have entropy and eye. 
Um, this is where the eyelids kind of roll in on themselves and the dog's always got droopy eyes and drippy eyes. Um, you'll see this with the baggy eyed bloodhounds constantly. Um, and you also have some ear issues. Um, every now and then with the hounds, you'll, um, you'll have a rage issue. I mean, I don't know if you've seen that in the other breeds, the, oh. the canine rage where they just kind of go white shark on you. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. oh that's fun. But without I call, the, without, I call without that any control. <laughs> All right. So you land in Georgia. Yeah. And did you immediately start like, shit, I got to get kennels. I got to get things going. Or is that how we. No, started? dude. No, 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 no. <laughs> this was not supposed to. <laughs> this was not supposed to be a business. You know, I bought this dream home of mine, you know, 4,000 square foot log cabin on some acreage on top of a mountain by a lake. And, you know, I'm going to go, ah, you know what? I'm just going to train a few dogs to help pay the mortgage. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's so classic. get a couple dogs, throw them in the garage. And, you know, six months later, I'm building a kennel building, putting in a lot of concrete and hiring employees. A year later, I'm looking at another facility in South Carolina. And, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years later, well, here I am in Switzerland. So right. none of this was planned. None of it was organized. And all of it, frankly, was off the cuff. So pretty much about year one, you could not, there was no going back. It was yeah. forward or you're screwed. Well, it wasn't even screwed. It was just, you know, I, the it just started rolling. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I've never had any great dreams of, you know, being on top of the world in anything, you know, so that wasn't what was driving it. It was just, you know, I've always had a, a huge passion for what I do for the work, the training. Um, and you know, it's just honestly constantly being a kid now playing cops and robbers and cowboys and Indians. And you know, that that's the majority of my day now. I mean, it's great. Yeah. And get paid for it. That's good. Good time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna take a we're gonna take a minute here, um, pause, uh, so we can throw some of our sponsors in here. When we get back, we're gonna get into the nuts and bolts of tracking and trailing. Yeah, man. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennels. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com. Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K. Nine Pro, or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. That's no secret that Eric and I are both huge fans of Dog Drew. In fact, long before we even started the podcast, we've both been users of 
Dogtra products for a very long time. My personal favorite is the 1900S. We use it at the kennel and all of my dual purpose handlers are issued them during their courses. One of the new things that's happened this year is that they've made the new 1900S hands-free. And if you follow me on social media at all, you've seen me using that little button and it has been a fantastic revelation in handling a dog and using the e-collar at the same time. So basically this thing, the 1900S hands-free, is fully waterproof receiver and transmitter, water-resistant hands-free remote controller, so don't drop it. Hands-free remote control for multitasking, discrete fingertip control, and it's got an ergonomic receiver. The other thing too is the gradual and precise stimulation. It goes from zero to 127 and everything in between. And it's a radio stat, so it has minimal jumps between each number. Also, it's very, very durable and reliable. Doctor collars are designed to withstand the most demanding and extreme conditions to support any training goals you have. It's intuitive design, so it has no fuss, no hassle, and it's ergonomic to provide you with a no-look control so you can keep your eyes on your dog while you're training. They've got great customer service and great support. Also, be sure to hit them up at doctor.com and use the discount code WDR10 to get 10% off anything over 200 bucks that you're buying. Let me hop in here and talk about our sponsors for the podcast, Southern Coast Canine, based out in New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine has been providing better training, better results, and better dogs for over 25 years. Led by Bill Heiser and known for their excellent high-drive dual-purpose and detection dogs and outstanding customer service. They have what you want and what you are looking for. Call 1-877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647 and speak with Bill to discuss your canine needs today. Or visit southerncoastcanine.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Southern Coast Canine, the letter K, the number nine. All right. We're back with uh, Jeff Shetler from Georgia NTC, well-known in this industry for uh, tracking and trailing. Um, again, I learned something today that I, I would have always said, uh, yeah, if you want to learn tracking with hounds, go, go see Jeff. But he just told us that still pretty much most of what he does is with pointy-eared patrol dogs. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's all the way around. So we have mentioned the beginning of this podcast, you said tracking or, or trailing and tracking numerous mm-hmm. times. Right. Dispel, confirm, tell, tell what it is. Is there a difference? What's the difference? Is it all kind of one similar thing? Or, or what have you found in your expertise? Well, I've just found that I like to switch the words back and forth just to fuck with people, honestly. Yes. Because, <laughs> you know, because I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll spend all day saying trailing and then also the next day I'll move to tracking and just that just throws everybody for a loop. Um, I, I think really it's all synonymous. We're using just a bunch of different words saying the same thing. Um, you know, it's kind of like all roads lead to Rome. Now, granted, you're not necessarily going to want to take all of them. Some roads might be a little bit better, but for the most part, um, the, the job is the same. And I don't even like to use tracking or trailing really anymore. Uh, what I like to use is the term manhunting, uh, because, you know, when you're hunting somebody in it, especially in an urban environment, you're not just following one particular thing. You're following a combination of things. And you're also using the dog's ability to calculate based on experience and exposure to the area that he's in to work through that place. Um, and you're using some ground scent, you're using contact odor, you're using air scent and it's, it's back and forth and it's so seamless that the average person doesn't even comprehend that it's occurring. So, you know, if you're going to, you can't really differentiate between the two. I mean, if you're looking at 
classical tracking, that would be footstep to footstep. Um, that would be the sausage in the footprint, mm-hmm. ground disturbance type thought process, you know, um, where trailing a lot of times and, and the aficionados and trailing in the past have said that, well, what trailing is, is following blown human odor wherever it might go, which allows the dog to move off the track where in traditional tracking, they can't do that. And in my thought process is, is if the fucking dog shows that he has ESP, well, guess what? We're going to be using ESP now. I don't care how they find the guy. I really, really don't. You know, my job is to catch people and to produce dogs that do that exceptionally well and to train people to do that too. And in order to do it, it's a combination of factors. So really, I think if we're going to have terms, then, you know, maybe manhunting might be the the term to use, at least in my book. Trailing and tracking are don't even quite cover it anymore. Yeah, I train, you know, I, the city that I work in is a city, so it's it's inner city. Right. And um, people, I always tell people, you will be surprised, especially in a, in a school, how little actual just straight up hard surface tracking that I do. But we have a, a massive amount of success, especially my midnight shift guys, of inner city tracking and getting bite apprehension. I right. teach... I teach more of the um, odor pooling type stuff. Um, you know, maybe we start in grass and then, you know, I teach them. They're like, well, the guys, they said the guy ran down the sidewalk. Why is the dog going along the fence line? You know, mm-hmm. but the wind is coming left to right. He's over here on the right side. And I teach and I've had a lot more success with it. Mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, have always kind of considered that uh, a bit more of trailing. Because I do, I start my dogs in the traditional footstep with uh, Bill Jack in the foot, um, like an IPO type. Um, and I seem to get a pretty good base out of it. But I don't know how, if, if I've been telling people correctly all these years um, or not. Well, I think your philosophy is good because what you're just talking about, what you see on the street and how you're explaining it working, I think that's, you're, you know, you're right on the money. I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. Uh, and generally speaking, what, um, disrupts classical tracking is that mindset because as soon as you go away from the exact track you you actually kind of destroy that type of training it, it's not applicable generally speaking in a city environment because that footstep to footstep odor you know sometimes it exists and sometimes it exists for a while but once you start really getting it contaminated and getting some age over the top of it um, and environmental conditions it's just not there anymore in a way that the dog can travel footstep to footstep. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think your philosophy is, you know, right on the money. Um, you know, from a training aspect, you know, I, I think that um, the way we do things is, is a little different. Um, we do what's called a fire trail or a runaway, uh, utilizing the dog's natural prey drive to hunt and catch something. Uh, very, very similar to what a mother wolf or mother coyote would do with one of its cubs. You know, the, the same type of process. Um, bring a wounded animal back home to the pack, throw it out with the pups, let them chase and kill it, and then consume it. And with our, our trailing or our manhunting, we, we do a very similar process. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the beliefs that I have is, is that... Um, the reason why the dogs do this isn't really so much for the reward 
you know, be it cookie or ball or tug, whatever that you have, or for obedience or necessarily for pleasing the, the handler. The real reason the dogs do this is the, the drive for the hunt, you know, that, that prayed out drive, the excitement. And so we, we capitalize on that uh, by doing this runaway fire trail type thing. Um, and it's, it's really quite simple and anybody can do it. Um, you take a young pup or an older dog all off lead without any equipment or leash. You put them in a, an area that's got a lot of vegetation, rather high. I like tall grass or tall weeds. You hide them behind a tree. You bring a trail layer out and he entices the dog with uh, some, you know, exciting words or maybe a, a ball or some food or something. And then he quickly runs off and gets out of sight. And in the beginning, the distance where he gets out of sight to is relative to the maturity of the dog. Uh, so it could be for a puppy, 20 feet, but for a year old dog, it could be, you know, 75 yards. And then you cut the dog loose and let him do whatever the hell he wants to do to find that person. And through trial and error and mistakes that the dog makes over a relatively short period of time, they quickly learn how to use odor in, a, in an amazing way. And uh, this is why it works so well. Um, you and I, we can't teach a dog to track. It's just not possible. We can't teach a dog to follow odor, uh, because they inherently know how to do this when they're born. Uh, it's part of their makeup, their DNA, uh, they're bred for it where we really aren't. We have no idea what scent is. We don't know where it might be. Um, we definitely don't know how the dogs truly use it in tracking and trailing, but the dogs inherently do right from birth. And I think that a lot of times, instead of getting into the minutia of, you know, the details of how this dog has to do its thing and making sure it does it in a specific way by certain rules and game plans, that if we just let them do their thing and we read them appropriately and try to guide them towards the right source by making sure they don't get off on other things, it usually works a little, a little bit better. So I do have, I do have some Honestly, dogs, I, go ahead. I do have some dogs that I will do that, um, kind of more of a, at first as a test to see, um, mm -hmm. do I need to incorporate the food or, or not? But the difference is, and I like what you said is, um, so I'll do it. I'll usually have the dog on the other side of the guy's truck or truck right. or car, tease them up with whatever their favorite thing is. Then I go out of sight. I'll talk to them as I'm, Hey, I got your boy. And, and I have the, and they're kind of fake going and teasing them up a little bit. And then when they go, I I've been having the handlers keep them on leash, but you're saying you just unhook them and let them go. Yeah. Mm, I like that. Yeah. yeah and, and I'll tell you the reason, um, generally speaking, the human is nothing more than a giant sea anchor for the dog. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we do more to fuck it up than, we actually do to help they know how to do this job and they, you know i have eight week old puppies that track and trail amazingly amazing distances without any help at all um realistically speaking what we need to do is just try to focus them on task of finding one particular thing without distraction that's the biggest deal um and you know i've you know i've done the the, the food method and you know, the, all the different styles of, of starting a dog and everything can work. I mean, I know that, but, um, I've never had anything work as well as just letting the dog do his own thing the way he wants to. 
and and that is actually through self-discovery. Uh, when they learn how to make mistakes and then correct them on their own without a lead or a handler, you know, line checking them, mm-hmm. uh, they have a tendency to hardwire those corrections in their brain. Yeah, a perfect example is, you know, like when we're you're doing traditional tracking, um, we have this thought process in our brains that if the dog deviates from the track, that we line check them and put them right back on it. And when they get on there, they get a good boy, you know, for example, or, you know, that sausage in the track, whatever it might be in the belief that that scent is right there where the person walked. And, um, the way we work on the other hand is allow the dog to get off, do whatever he wants to do when he gets off. And as long as he's actually hunting and working, let him do it for as long as he wants, because as soon as he finds where he made the mistake, corrects himself and gets back on track again, he forever remembers that event. And it's, it's actually kind of like detection training. If you think about it, That's you would never about to say, yeah, you'd never guide a dog to source, right? Huh, yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't do it. It's cardinal sin, right? I mean, it's one of those things that's just bad juju. Right. Why do we do it? With, why do we do it with tracking? Well, that's what, and that's what I yell at handlers all the time. Not my handlers, but <clears throat> other handlers right. where, when we're tracking, you know, or when they're, when they're doing drug work, like they're, you know, walking down the side of the car and they're tapping and whatever else. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, and they're right. like, just, just letting work. And they're like, well, you know, this, that, and the other. I'm like, do you track like that? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, well, why not? And they kind of look at you like I've got a dick growing out of my forehead. And I'm like, seriously, I mean, if he knows yeah. what he's looking for, just you're, I was like, you're just the asshole with the thumbs. Just stand back there and he'll let you know when he needs you. And exactly. like, oh, I'm like, if you'll just let him, he'll fucking work it out. Just, <laughs> just hold on a second. And typically they're like, oh, wow. I'm like, yeah, I know. Right. Like, let him go. <laughs> my, my biggest, my biggest job, honestly, nowadays is teaching people how to let go more than anything and how to not micromanage how to keep their mouths shut and how just to let the dog do their thing. And, and then at the same time, try to have fun while they're doing it. And it seems like as soon as you put those three things finally together, that's when the successes start to occur. So how, how long into this process before you, uh, you incorporate the mouth breather at the other end of the line? Um, it, with, with the babies, you know, when we start at seven to eight weeks of age, um, we may not put any equipment on them for eight to 10 weeks. Um, and actually kind of the goal is I want a puppy to be able to do, um, almost, a um, three eighths of a mile track, double blind, uh, 30 minutes old, all off lead, um, and catch the guy in just a matter of a few minutes. And when that happens, that's when I'll start putting equipment on them. Are you um, primarily harness tracking or do you do off the collar, under the leg, or how do you do it? Yeah, I, I, I only do harness. I don't like the collar because it's just restrictive. Um, I don't really care how people track. And honestly, you can, you can put a dog in a purple you know, ballerina tutu and they'll track in that too. Um, it does, the equipment's irrelevant. But the only reason why I put that harness on and I'm very particular about the type of harnesses is just for comfort because a lot of what we do is really, really extensive, hardcore tracks. And a perfect example is, you know, the graduation track for one of the guys today was a, a 5k track, uh, you know, all double blind in the mountains of Switzerland. 
and it took the dog two and a half hours of constant tracking. And it was actually a two dog team, um, to get to me. So you got to have good equipment and collar tracking in that type of condition is just counterproductive to the dog. Yeah. So are you people fucking listen to this? His graduation track was a fucking 5k. We our, our tracks here for certification Ohio are like 120 feet, um, two turns, and that's it. And guys are like in full panic mode. This sounds like, sounds like the episode we just did with Daryl Wilkerson, too, where it's like listening to the FEMA certifications and people bitching about certifications for patrol dogs in the U.S. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no shit. Go track in Canada for their test. Same thing. Long, long, long. Well, you know, the dogs do it really easily. I mean, the, we finished this one, and we actually only cut it early because we had to finish by 11 a.m. Otherwise, I would have dragged it out for another 4 or 5K. Um, I was I, I was the one they were hunting, and I had no plans on letting them catch me anytime soon. Um, and we got done, and the dog was just ready to go again. I mean, it, you know, full bore, had no, wasn't, and it's amazing how long dogs can track without getting tired. And generally speaking, when you have a dog that's getting exhausted on a track or he looks like he's blown, nine times out of ten, it's because they're out of odor. But when they're in odor and they're on a good track or good trail, normally they don't look tired and they'll go for miles if you let them. So when we were back up real quick, because I forgot to ask you this question, when we were talking, uh, trailing and tracking, there are some folks that believe and some folks that say it's not true that humans have that odor flake off. You know, I forget what they call it. Mm -hmm. That flakes off you as you're sloughing. Sloughing. And there are others that say, absolutely not. It's 100% ground disturbance. What, what is yeah, that? I think there's three types. Um, there's, there's, uh, it can't be skin, just skin cells because you know, when your dog air sense somebody, right? From mm-hmm. they get that wind scent from across the, the parking lot or from across the yard. That's not skin cells. That's gas. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually off gas continuously. We're walking, talking biological smoke bombs. And I actually have a really, really cool video of it. Uh, it'll show you kind of how we do this uh, and how much odor we actually produce. So the majority of the odor that we, we produce that the dogs detect is in gas form. Um, and uh, the dogs can actually detect it from some incredible distances. We have confirmed a detection from 800 to a thousand meters away in some conditions with, with no problem. Um, now the other form is kind of what you're talking about. And I'm not exactly sure if sloughing skin cells is the right term or not. I'm not a scientist, but, um, there's a physical part of us that actually falls off, uh, almost like a continuously shedding snake. And, um, this biological matter is constantly degrading, um, through uh, nitrification, you have bacteria that work on it and reap that, that for lack of better words, eat it. And as this happens, um, it also produces a gas. So these skin cells, whatever falls off the body, hits the ground. Uh, the dogs aren't actually detecting the skin cells themselves. What they're detecting is the off gassing of the skin cells as they biologically degrade. And then the third form, the third form of odor that the dogs detect is what we call contact odor 
And I'm sure you guys have seen this, and it's one of the reasons why you got to be careful when you're doing your detection work, uh, is the oils, the, the, uh, the oils and the, uh, the biological material of our hands or, or our body, if we contact something, the dogs can detect this really easily. And it's not just our hands. It's, you know, our legs, our clothing. May, you guys may have seen tracks where, you know, the dog's tracking along and all of a sudden they, they sniff, you know, a branch that's not in pee zone height where a dog might have peed, but a little higher where maybe the guy brushed up against it, you know, or a spot where maybe he grabbed with his hand. So the contact odor is also very important. So when our dogs are hunting, they're using these three forms. They're doing the ground or the, the, the off-gassing of the skin cells, the gas directly from the body, the air scent, the contact odor, and then fourth but not least is also the ground disturbance that uh, the traditional tracking aficionados talk about. It makes sense to me. You know, if you... Uh... I always tell people if the first time that I take them tracking and I have laid it through high, high grass and they'll mm -hmm. see the dogs constantly picking up uh, and sniffing the, the higher grass that I brushed against as I went through it. Right. Which is like, a smart oh, move. Yeah. I want, I want his nose way down inside there. I'm like, dude, he's got it. I, yeah. I obviously yeah. touched that as I went through it. Well, yeah. this is, you know, I mean, and I think you kind of hit on it a minute ago. Like, there's some preconceived notions about what it should look like when a dog tracks. And, you know, people are like, oh, I want him to do this. And you're like, well, I mean, <laughs> he's obviously fine. I mean, why does he got to do it that way? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you know, when you look at search and rescue dogs, you know, I mean, there's no track to follow if they're looking for somebody buried in a rubble pile. I mean, they right. walk up and bury them fucking selves. So, no. The dog is actively, and down that note, one of the best tracking dogs I've got locally here that we train uh, was a dog that was started in uh, started that method. He was he was started as a female dog, but he kept biting people, which they're super stoked on. And <clears throat> so, um, yeah, he tracks. He just kind of goes back and forth, like he just kind of picks his head up, goes down, picks his head up. And I know what he's doing. He's doing exactly what we're talking about here. And he is, he was started yeah. that way. He was started with runoffs. He was started with, um, he didn't, doesn't really do traditional footstep tracking and it's weird handling him because we have both. So I'll, I'll watch him and he kind of checks the ground. Like if there's not a lot of grass, he'll check down to kind of check himself. And he goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And I mean, he's had, have some, you ever, he's had, he's had some else? super successful tracks. Have you seen that? And, and that, I mean, I, I love what I love what you just talked about because it it's um, it's actually what's so natural. And if you've ever um, looked at wild dogs, for example, coyotes or wolves, and how they track, um, it's very very rare that the nose is glued to the ground. It's constantly panning up and down. And with a coyote, for the most part, that head's always at shoulder level, so they can look and hear with everything that that they have for you know other predators or you know, other game. Um, this whole notion that the dog has to have its nose buried into the dirt is a human no notion. We produced that with right. Schutzen tracking back in 1898 when it all began. Yes. Um, we created that mannerism in a, and made a dog do it. And we've actually, you know, through line breeding, produced a lot of dogs that do just that, uh, you know, but the average dog has really no interest in keeping their nose on the ground all the time. It's just, it's not what they want to do. 
So one of the things that we see, uh, that I see you do a lot, um, you teach discrimination with a sin article. Um, right. I've, I know some really experienced handlers and really experienced trainers that have seen that, and they're like, what in the hell is going on here? Like, what are you doing? And, yeah. you know, to me, you know, trying to – well, one, I can't tell if they're serious or not when they ask that. And so kind of talk about how you guys do that when you implement that and what you're – I mean, and what you're actually doing. Okay. That's actually a really, really good question. First off, you know, the, the Sun article um, – is not the be all end all of a track. It really isn't. I mean, you're going to have a lot of people that tell you that, okay, this guy touched this. And so because he touched it or he, you know, my dog knows exactly who he is and can find him. Well, that, that's just bullshit. You know, it's possible. Yeah. It does work from time to time, but just because somebody touched or handled something doesn't necessarily mean the dog's going to be able to follow it. Um, first off, one one of the things you have to take into consideration is, is that the primary reason why t- dogs track or trail is the evolutionary requirement for survival, which is food, friends, foes, and fucking. Those four things are the primary reasons why dogs track or trail. You know, they have to find food, they have to find pack mates, they have to know where their enemies are, and they have to reproduce. That's why they do it. Um, but, you know, when we think about that, you have to think about some semblance of exigency because, you know, if, a, if, if the wolf comes into the, you know, you know, just work with me here for just a second. He goes into the meadow and he's over on one side and he detects where the deer have been bedding down and those deer were there 10 hours ago. And then he goes over the other side of the meadow and he detects deer that are fresher, maybe 25 minutes. Which one's he going to follow? The fresher scent, right? right. They're not going to follow. They're not going to follow old scent. My point with this is that dogs ha- have this genetic tendency to want to follow everything that's fresher, the freshest scent that's there. Um, and so, from a tracking trailing standpoint, it, regardless of the scent article the freshest trail is always going to be the most palatable to the dog, the one that they really want to follow because they have millennia of genetic imprinting that says that this is what they have to do. Well, the whole idea behind the scent article is, is that it's supposedly supposed to defeat this age issue and you can have lots of contamination, lots of other tracks, but because you have the scent article, the dog supposedly knows just this scent and now will follow just that trail. Um, so that's the whole idea behind the Sun Articles to begin with, to identify just one person, older trails amongst many. Well, you can't completely defeat evolution and the way dogs have uh, become, have evolved to use. They, they follow that fresher scent primarily. You actually have to teach them to follow the older trails, you know, and scent Articles with or without them, you know, it may or may not happen. But scent articles actually do really, really have a good effect on the dog as, you, as long as they're employed properly. Um, the thing is, is what you've probably seen, maybe not in my videos, uh, but in other ones, where you'll have a handler, he'll take a plastic bag that has a hat or a, a jacket in it, and then he'll shove it into the dog's face, and supposedly the dog has scent, and, and he takes the track. Um, that's not really how we do it. 
um, with the way we do scent articles, I want the dog to detect the odor from a distance. Uh, and it doesn't matter what it is, a hat, jacket, um, or let's say a fixed object like a door handle on a, a warehouse building that just got burglarized. I want the dog to be able to t- detect that contact odor from a distance, gravitate to it, and as soon as he gets to it, then I and in doing this, it kind of replicates in a way how a wild dog might locate the spore of an animal and then follow its trail in a very similar fashion. Um, so just because you have that scent article doesn't mean it's always going to work because you're dealing with millennia of you know imprinting that the freshest trail is what the dog has to follow. So, you know, and, and when you're dealing with a crime scene situation, you know, especially like a cold burglary or a cold robbery or something, by the time you get there to deploy the dog, you may have 10, 15, 20, 30, or even a hundred other people that have walked over that scene, you know, and that scent article may or may not work. Yeah. Um, the contaminated track is always a, a huge problem in, in law enforcement. Um, especially the contaminated track where the person who did it doesn't tell you the truth about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that happens here. a lot too. Nope. We, yeah. we all have had the stories of tracking a deputy back to his car. Yeah. 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 <laughs> many, many times. Yeah. Who said he didn't leave and didn't go over there. Yeah. And I found a lot of deputies out there on the tracks too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing out here? I don't know. Yeah. Same thing you're yeah. doing. Right. Uh, exactly. Following each other around in the following each other around out in the woods now. Um, Looking like fucking idiots. Right. <laughs> yeah. So let's um let's talk about the business. Mm-hmm. Um, what like so you have two locations and um what what do you guys offer there? Well, you know, if you if you get on our website and I mean if you just do Google searches and stuff of what we do it might make it look like we're this giant company but honestly we're pretty small um we have our georgia facility which is primarily civilian obedience and behavior issues we but we deal with primarily the high caliber dogs lots of shepherds mouths mm-hmm. you know the bully breeds and such um we used to do most of our police work out of there but we kind of outgrew it the combination of the police and the civilian work wasn't really gelling just because we didn't have the space uh uh, so we opened up the, the South Carolina location and, you know, with the intent to primarily just do law enforcement um, stuff out there. And tracking is the the bread and butter of everything that we do. And it's for the most part what everybody comes to, to train with us for. Um, but we also do, you know, detection and obedience and the full Monty for, for dog stuff. It's just tracking is the, the bread and butter. You have um dogs that you sell also yeah yep i do um probably about 14 dogs a year 12 to 14 Uh, i keep the number really low because i like to do hands-on uh myself along with our trainers um we start with puppies so we do puppy programs we start them in about eight weeks and we train for about a year before they go to their handlers wow that's a lot of food and it's a lot of work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, when they when they come, they can they can 
you guys have uh, handler schools, obviously, where you're training. Do you guys do yeah, a yeah. train trainers type school? Yeah, we do train the trainers. Um, we just actually started that just last year. Uh, people come to us to, you know, learn, you know, full-blown tracking from, um, you know, basically the ground up imprinting all the way to tactical tracking and proximity alerts. So do detection and, uh, and obedience as well. Cool. So like, do you, can they, um, a, a tactical team get a hold of you and come down there and just them work? Like you do small group, like say Joe Schmo police department and they're 15 man team and they got a dog and they want to do tactical tracking. They can come down as a full unit. That's, yeah. That's, that's actually what we, we do. We've got about 20,000 acres of ground that we work on. Um, plus a lot of urban stuff that we've got. Uh, we've got lodging for, as many people as we probably uh, can handle from a training perspective. So that's usually about 20 max. Um, and, and that's exactly it. So for our military courses and our law enforcement courses, uh, we'll have the SWAT teams come down or, you know, platoon size elements to, to come and, and work with us. Um, yeah, that's the way it goes. That's awesome. Where, uh, give, give everybody the website. It's, uh, www.gak9.com. G is in George, A is in Adam, K is in King, the number nine.com. That's awesome. I've been on the website. Um, it's pretty self-explanatory. You get on there. Um, you can, you know, get on there and search around. Uh, a lot of people are always lo are looking for um, tracking seminars, you know, and um, and it's it's it'd be nice for people to get on there. It's kind of a one-stop shop. Get on there and check it out. Uh, it's easy to easy to get around in there. Um, what about social media? Where can people see what you're up to? Well, I'm on Facebook, so you know we've got some pages on there, and then you know Jeff Shuttler on Facebook. You can probably find me. I do a shit ton of shameless marketing there. Uh, oh. You know, I'm sure you've seen some of it. Uh, lots of videos. I try to post something every single day. Lots of pictures. Uh, last week has been pretty cool. We're in Switzerland with the genre. Uh, we've got some good videos and photos of the, the stuff that we did there. Um, so pretty much I, I try to give a daily update of some tracking thing or, you know, good find that one of our students did or, you know, some school that we're teaching abroad somewhere. That's awesome. That's great. Um, what's what's going forward? Where's, what's next from Switzerland? Uh, Estonia. And I've never been there. Yeah. Yeah, this is on the Russian border. It's in the Baltic states, so Latvia, uh, Estonia, Russia. Uh, really, really cold, really, really wet for the most part. Um, but I'm super excited about it because I worked with a couple of these guys last year when I was training in Latvia. And um, I was super excited just because of how passionate they were for the tracking and trailing work that they were doing. And... Um, so I, uh, you know, we, we set up a school for this this month, and I'm going to be working with I think uh, six handlers and about 16 SWAT guys are going to be supporting it. That awesome. sounds that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. Have you yeah. uh, are you have you gotten any uh, proficient in any other languages over there? Or you just wing it. I I wing it, and mm -hmm. you know, it's just great because people speak English pretty good. Um, I speak some German, a little bit of Spanish. French, I'm horrible at. Um, I have no idea what Estonian is, but I'm sure I'll find out here pretty soon. 
Yeah. As long as they know what beer is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm having one of those right now. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, Ted, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram, Ted underscore Summers, and then you can find the podcast at working under working underscore dog underscore radio and then we're working dog dry goods also and then we've got the same uh, oh and torchlight i forgot that one <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. torchlight canine letter k the number nine on instagram and on facebook as well and yeah what about you um on instagram at van s canine that's where most of my police dog stuff is um i have van s canine academy on facebook uh i've been doing more of the pet stuff on there lately and van s canine academy Daycare, because I have a daycare that's also on there on Facebook, um, and that's all all pet stuff. And, of course, we have the new Patreon. Uh, download the app, Patreon, look up uh, Working Dog Radio, and check it out, man. I think you guys will like it. We're going to post a lot of stuff on there uh, that you're not going to see anywhere else. It's going to be a good time. Jeff, I personally love this, man. I, yeah, I, I, can see why, I can see why people said that you're their mentor. Um you definitely know your game and um, have been hugely successful out of it. And um, and you're not just making up a bunch of shit. You're you know you know the science behind it and um, the the results uh, you know are proof. And uh, I, I'm really mm-hmm. glad we finally managed to get this up and running. Yeah, me too. This is uh, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. And and hopefully, if you guys ever get out to Charleston, South Carolina, look me up. I'll put you guys up and we'll go running in the swamps a bit. Shit, dude. I just told you I'm retiring. I am coming. I was like, here Bring we it. go. Bring it. It's right. fun. Thank you just, very much. My Jeff. only suggestion is between yeah. November and April. November and got it. I can do that. All right. All right. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Yep. All right. We'll talk to you Take guys care. soon. On the next Bye. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom. And we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about Tripwire Operations Group. They're some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up. Specifically for guys on this podcast, if you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog, they have one of the most well-rounded, ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification. Head over to tripwireops.org to check it out. They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely, and these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. Proven canine training, proven results, providing scenario-based training for law enforcement based on years of law enforcement and military service. Creating dogs for scent detection, 
Tracking, Patrol, and Obedience National Certifying Official for all aspects of canine and canine-related work. Watch for seminars across the country, near your locations in Northeast New Mexico and Amarillo, Texas. Find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Proven Canine Training, the letter K, the number 9, or at www.provendogtraining.com or give JJ a call at 417-844-5816. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at BracketDesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at Brother Deeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot, dot com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses. Fucker that you ever seen Yeah, I'm a crazy motherfucker Walking up your street Welcome to Working Dog Radio Broadcasting the Bite